Now, uh, if you would like to turn over to Ephesians chapter 6, I'm just looking at basically one and a half verses, uh, really, just a couple of sentences. Um, You'll see that the title I've given myself, if you've seen it online, is What Unearthly Powers of Darkness Do We Contend With? And uh, this is on page 1163, page 1163. And uh, I've been, I looked last week at preparing for the spiritual battle. You know, we as believers, we're not interested in, in, in fighting for our religion. Not with, not with guns and machine guns. There's a spiritual battle that we take part in. We, as we sang earlier, we rage against the devil, but we love all human beings. We love our enemies. We love those who persecute us. But we rage against the devil. We battle against spiritual forces. And that's what what we thought about last week, preparing for the battle against these spiritual forces. Um, But Paul goes on to say, and this is in verse 11, the second half of of verse 11, but I'll read the whole of verse 11. Uh, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil or the methods of the devil. For we do not wrestle struggle, contend, strive. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, that's human beings, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, I had to be very careful with my title. I did actually put in, on one of my titles, the word extraterrestrial, you know, (laughs) what... What, what, uh, you know, what extraterrestrial powers are we against? But then I thought, well, of course, anybody on YouTube would think I was one of these wackos that believe in uh, you know, intelligent aliens who come down and abduct people. Uh, so rather than you know, have that uh, emphasis, uh, I, I, I said, what unearthly powers? But extraterrestrial basically means unearthly. But you see, Paul is telling us in these verses, first of all, there is a power above human beings, there's intelligences and forces distinct from God, but that that exist. And of course we know that God created millions of good angels, good messengers, wonderful beings. But also we know that there is a host of intelligences that following Satan, following the devil, have fallen into corruption and sin, and exist. Now, of course, you talk to this average atheist, and, oh, you know, you don't, believe, you don't believe that. But I'm assuming that most of us here actually do believe in a spiritual world, an invisible world that we can't see with our eyes, but we read about and we sometimes can perceive uh, uh, their existence. And I want us to notice that Paul tells us that the person who wants to follow Jesus Christ is throughout their life going to have a conflict with these dark powers. If anybody wants to be holy, then they're going to have a struggle right the way through their life. Now, often people, and some people become followers of Jesus Christ because they think, oh, if I become a Christian, I'll live happily ever after. Well, Jesus Jesus didn't say that. What actually Jesus said was this. He said... um, in, John, in John's Gospel, he said that basically, um, uh, in this world, as long as you're in this world, you're going to have troubles. But don't be discouraged, because in me you'll have peace. 
So it's not a question of living happily ever after. It's a question of, though you're surrounded by conflict and trials and troubles and, uh, above all, spiritual conflicts, you will be able to live in peace and in joy within the midst of these trials and troubles. Not living, you know, I mean, the ideal for many people is, oh, well, I'll have a nice family life and then I'll have grandchildren and then I'll retire and I'll have this nice happy existence with no troubles, no problems. Well, that isn't what Jesus promised. He did say, of course, that, you know, that we, God willing, we will have fa- happy family lives and we will eventually maybe have an old age and retire. But it doesn't matter what stage of your life, whether you're a child or a very old man, there's a struggle against this, these spiritual beings that he's talking about. And this struggle is such that we must be driven to have spiritual resources to fight those powers. If we don't have God's spiritual resources, we will fail. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. After all, it's pretty easy to take out a machine gun and shoot people. I mean, if you think that's all religion is about, is actually uh, you know, a, a battle against human beings, then that's easy. You know, be like President Putin and threaten atomic bombs and stuff. But actually, an atomic bomb cannot reach and cannot touch the evil spiritual forces that are our true enemy. And the thing is that we must understand that we need desperately the spiritual power and armory that God wants us to have. Now, you've heard of the, uh, the, the uh, movement in some American cities to defund the police. I'm not going to go into that political argument. But the one thing that's clear is the Bible makes it clear that God wants to cut off Christians, defund, our resources the spiritual resources do we have to live a righteous life, to live a life of joy and peace, to live a life following Jesus Christ. And uh, that's why one of the words that the first, uh, when getting back to the passage, you'll see that we need to uh, take, uh, take up the full armor of God, that's the full weapons of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm, that's 13. But you'll see that in verse 11, also he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Because we are talking here about not some crackpot image of a devil with horns and a tail, and you know, like you have on a comedy program. We're talking about an incredibly powerful evil intelligence that has met people like us before millions of times. People who are proud and think that we can stand and think that we can be successful in our lives, but we don't have a chance against the intelligent force that is uh, the satanic force. And he, but Satan wants to cut us off from these resources that the Lord would have us give, the spiritual armor that he would, he would give to us. And so Paul is very concerned in, in Ephesians, right at the end of Ephesians, to make it clear to, to all of the believers that all of these wonderful truths he's taught in the previous five chapters, they will be worth nothing if Christians do not wear their spiritual armor. There are vast numbers of intelligences. There's the devil himself, the top of the pyramid. But there are other intelligences that are given dignified titles by Paul. Princes, principalities, and powers is the old-fashioned version, the old way of of, uh, of translating rulers and authorities. 
And the intelligences, the demons and the devils that we're dealing with are highly intelligent and uh, are, are treated with the respect in the sense that Hitler was treated with respect by people who hated him. And uh, although we hate the devil, if we are believers, we respect the fact that he has the power to completely destroy our, our lives if we are not protected by the Lord. There is an immense danger of fighting against Satan in reliance on our own, our, our own human faculties. You see, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, you needn't look this up, but I'll read it. He says this, though we walk in the flesh, though we're just human beings, we're not waging war like people do, human beings do, with, in those days, with spears and, and, and swords and chariots. We don't wage war in that way. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, not made by man, not man-made, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And here we have this amazing fact the church is told, our church, you as an individual have, that God, the, the, the weapons that God has, has incredible power that you can use to destroy strongholds. We'll look at the more, into that in a bit more detail in, uh, in, follow, in the following weeks. But notice this, that you know, some people you know, are, are, you know, have delusions. I mean, religion can be a great delusion. Um, the Christian religion uh, has sometimes bred a whole lot of deluded fanatics, nutters. Um, there were people um, who um, th- claimed to be Christians, though I don't really think the leaders were, I think the ordinary people may have been, claimed to be followers of Jesus. But they said, God, has, has, the Spirit has come into us and given us special new revelations. And they, they, they were revealed that they were to fight against the Catholic forces of Europe. And what they were told was, by their prophet was, there's thousands of these guys armed with swords and shields and everything, but don't worry. Go into battle naked and God will give you the victory. Now all they got was cut throats and, and, and being hacked down by the enemies. They were deluded. They thought they had power, but they had nothing. Now, as I've said, we don't, we don't believe Christians should be fighting battles for Christianity. I mean, physical battles. We love our enemies, and we will turn the other cheek. That's what Jesus told us. Love us, love and care. But in the battle against the devil, our spiritual enemy, it is absolutely important for you to be wearing this, and me, for to be wearing the spiritual armor every day. And uh, we need to, to make sure that we don't end up with, you know, like happens with, with some armies that we, we uh, you know, you call a ceasefire and then you relax. You know, some, some Christians just, oh, I just want a holiday from, oh, I've, been, I've been so holy for so long, I, I want a holiday, I'm just going to, I'll, start, I'll stop worshipping, going to a place of worship, I'll start, I won't read my Bible today, I won't pray today, I'll have a few days off. And then they spiral downwards and downwards and downwards in their, in their spiritual life and end up Totally messed up. Maybe drunk, as people that Henry was talking about this morning, people drunk, adulterers, getting into all kinds of problems because they took time off. The spiritual war continues. The Americans found in Vietnam, they had to cease fire for a time. And they, they then you know, thought everything was okay. But in fact, the war started again and the Americans were totally, uh, totally finished in Vietnam. It happened in Afghanistan again, repeated. The truth is, 
The spiritual war continues. We need to be armed uh, and ready. And uh, I just want to note that um, there are various words that Paul uses to describe these spiritual enemies, which I'm going to look at for a few minutes. Uh, I'm actually going to start um, with um, uh, one that's later on in the list, firstly. Uh, could you uh, see that in verse 11, it says, um, um, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we not, don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And then he says against rulers, against authorities. I'll talk about that in a minute. But then against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Now, Paul gives a list. Now, there isn't any, uh, in, in the actual Greek, there's just a list. There's no and in between each. So we're not, it's not absolutely certain uh, whether Paul is describing this, the, 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 the spiritual, uh, spiritual forces and saying they are rulers, they are authorities, they are um, you know, uh, these beings with cosmic power, or whether it's talking about three different grades of spiritual beings. It's not clear. But let me just explain what this word um, uh, uh, which is behind the uh, translation saying um, the cosmic powers of this present darkness. The cosmic powers of this present darkness. Uh, the word that's used is cosmocrator. Uh, and it actually was a word that was used um, in Roman and Greek culture. for uh, em- We might call it the emperor of evil. In fact, there was one uh, Roman emperor called himself this word. And it has the idea of someone with amazing kind of ability to control nations like an emperor does, has an empire. And the Bible does make it clear, and Paul makes it clear in other parts of of, um, the New Testament, that although Satan doesn't control the created world, I mean, uh, the devil doesn't have any control over a mountain or a river. Of course he doesn't. This is the created world, but he does control... The empire of men and women's souls, most of them anyway. Paul says in Ephesians earlier on, in Ephesians chapter 2, before you came to Christ, he says, you were under the control of the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. It's a bit like, um, you know, the moon. Uh, The moon has a certain influence upon planet, planet Earth's geography. The moon controls the tides. Without the moon, there would be no regular tides in Britain. Uh, There's an influence upon the physical world that comes from the moon. Now, the Bible says that Satan and his demonic powers have an influence upon the minds and hearts of men and women today, and, and always has done. He's the emperor of evil. He doesn't control the world, but he does control human cultures now, some individual leaders may indeed be directly under his influence. Do you, I, mean, I don't know if you realize that Hitler claimed that a God, I'm not going to say the Lord, but I'm saying a God spoke to him just uh, during the middle of the First World War when he'd been gassed and he was in hospital and told him he would become the ruler of Germany. Now, up till that point in time, the only career Hitler had had was as a tramp, selling bits of you know, little paintings, begging really, that's the only career he'd had till 2000, 2000, 1914, say 1914 to 1918. But indeed, within a few years of being demobbed and leaving the German army, he had this meteoric rise to power in such a short period of time. And he almost reached the point where he could rule the world, but he didn't. But the point is this, 
the Lord says in the Bible that the devil does have certain powers. To, and uh, remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil, the devil said, promised Jesus, he said, if you, if you bow down and worship me, then I will, all the, the, the kingdom and the glory, the glory of the kingdom of this world, they will be yours because I have the power to give this to you. Now, now the devil only has the power to control politics because he controls the, the minds of politicians. He only has the power to control culture because he's able uh, to have significant, important culture, cultural leaders that pass on their ideologies and their influences to people. If we look at Britain, uh, we can see crucial uh, changes in society, actually, in the last two centuries. Um, we can think about the fact that 200, 250 years or so ago was the development of a philosophy that said there's no miracles. God is not a God of miracles. Then there followed a theology, which was followed by many people in the, the Christian church, that said there are no miracles that actually happen. It's all, made, it's all, been, it's all fiction and legends that have been embroidered together. And then eventually, these people became powerful voices in the, the so-called Christian church. And millions of, of ordinary people that up till then would have called themselves Christians basically didn't really believe in Christianity. Because if you don't believe in a God who can work miracles, you don't believe in God at all. Then we see it in Victorian England. You had this, uh, this uh, terrible uh, uh, sort of uh, phenomenon where the leaders of British society preached morality all the time, said, oh, we believe in the Ten Commandments, but secretly we're going with prostitutes. Britain was supposed to be a Christian country, and yet London had over 150,000 prostitutes in it, mostly poor women being exploited by middle class and richer people. And then, of course, um, eventually, after the First World War and then the Second World War, it was decided that actually we could get rid of the, the, the public pro proclamations. We no, need no longer pretend that we're moral. We can just have the permissive society where we can fornicate, we can commit adultery, we can take drugs, we can live uh, whatever life we like, whatever sexuality we like, we can do whatever we like. Now, the Bible tells us that all of these cultural influences have been caused by superintelligent beings suggesting, manipulating human beings in, as individuals and in the mass to make these cultural changes. And I mean, today we, we face a post-religious or post-Christian fascism in Britain. We face a society that believes it's perfectly okay to kill hundreds of thousands of babies every year, that euthanasia is perfectly okay. You, you, can, you can help someone to, to kill themselves. In other words, you, you're murdering someone because you're actually aiding and abetting in the taking of a, of a life. Uh, and you can actually persecute people who, who, go, who have a conscience. Our fascist society that's, that's starting to develop actually believes that if you stand by your conscience and you say, no, I think that's wrong. Oh, right, that's a hate crime. Let's send you to jail or at least fine you. All of these influences are spiritual, demonic influences. Now, just before, I'm not going on for that much longer, but I want to say this. These are subtle, incredible schemes and methods that the devil uses as he controls the thoughts and emotions and feelings of mankind en masse. But 
you know, often you'll find that many religious believers, instead of thinking in the biblical way about what is, how the devil is at work within this world and what a terrible thing he's doing because he's destroying the lives of millions of people, whenever they think about the devil, they think, oh, oh someone's got a demon. I'll have to lay hands on them and get rid of their demon. Oh, that person over there has sneezed. That's a sign of demon possession. I am not joking. I know of a church that 30 years ago claimed that sneezing was a sign of demon possession. Uh, the thing is that basically the Bible tells us that the, the devil is at work to destroy the souls of men and women. It's a, it's a terrible harvest of evil that's been carrying on for this past century. And the only solution is to preach Christ's deliverance through the cross. That's the only way. It's not by just going around trying to cast out demons from people. I'm not denying that that uh, uh, Christ cast out demons for a purpose, and so did his apostles. They were, they were told to do so. But what is horrific is the thought that millions of people are going into a lost eternity, will one day face the judgment seat of God, and they will have no one to save them. Because many Christians, instead of uh, uh, kind of going around superstitiously, thinking about the devil like it's a hammer horror film, like the devil is some kind of you know, uh, weird figure um, uh, that uh, you know, hammer horrors uh, you know, present their horror characters as, rather than this terrible evil intelligence. In fact, this, this ruler, these world rulers, control cultures. They control religious ideologies. So the Bible is very clear. It's repeated many times. Idol worship. When you worship idols, you're actually worshipping spirits. You're actually worshipping a devil, even though the idol may have a different name. When people hate Christ and hate the fact that he died on the cross, um, that's the Bible predicted that in the last days there would be people who would believe doctrines taught by demons. And indeed, in the book of Revelation, which talks about the future, has predictions about the future, it talks about people gathering for worship. And they are, they are called, in the book of Revelation, gatherings for Satan. The word is synagogues of Satan, which the Jewish word for synagogue meant a, a, a gathering, gathering together uh, of, of people. Just like the word church also meant a gathering of people, an assembly of people. And... Uh, Doctrines taught by demons lead to false ideologies. Also, it leads to people who believe in, in, in Christ sometimes actually being fooled by Satan into saying and teaching things which are totally anti-Christ, total errors. P Peter, the, uh, the apostle, the great apostle, when he was going through his training with Jesus, at one point when Jesus said, I'm on my, I'm my, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be rejected by all the leaders. I'm going to be whipped and I'm going to be crucified. And Peter said, God forbid that that should be so. God would never let that happen to you. And what did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. For you are thinking about the words of the devil, not of God. You are coming out with the words of Satan. Now, um, hatred and opposition to Christ, Jesus said is the direct will of the devil. And so the religious groups at the time, the Pharisees and the scribes, that conspired to have Jesus killed, Jesus himself said, they were, they were under the control of the devil, they were murderers in their heart, they wanted to murder Christ because they were of their father, the devil, who wanted to murder him from the beginning. 
And so uh, the Bible gives us this picture, as I've said, of, uh, of uh, societies, ideologies, uh, countries, military powers, sometimes being under the influence of these satanic powers. Um, but also, of course, it does talk about his influence upon us as individuals. And uh, I want to, to um, um, note that um, Paul emphasizes, now I'm going to go back to the previous, uh, uh, some, of the, some of the words I've left out so far. Uh, we are no, don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities. Um, now, when we look in the New Testament, we do see Jesus casting out demons. And here's an interesting thing. Most of the demons that we come across that Jesus casts out, actually, they seem to be pretty sordid, squalid <laughs> spirits. Uh, I mean, the, uh, there was a man who was demon-possessed, and he, he, was, uh, he, he had a, a legion of demons. The, the demon called himself a legion, indicating there were numerous pers- personalities that infested this man. And when Jesus was going to cast them out, they said, oh, please don't cast us out. Cast us into that herd of pigs, which Jesus obliged them. They went into the herd of pigs, and then the pigs destroyed themselves going over a cliff. They, seem, they don't seem like rulers and authorities, but I just want to say this. The Bible does say there's all kinds of gradations of these demonic beings. I, and that's as far as I'm going to go. Uh, some people go much further and they try to describe as though they, they know authoritatively everything about this spirit. Well, no, I'm just saying this is what the Bible says. The gradations of, of, um, of power in these beings. But I want us to notice that even a ruler on earth that appears on the outside to be powerful and strong and noble and all this stuff actually may himself be a total, wretched, sordid, squalid, nasty person. Hitler was that kind of person. Hitler was, uh, you know, a, a sexual deviant. He was also a, clearly a sadist. He was clearly a man whose, whose power hungriness had consumed anything noble in him by the end of his life. And uh, so the, the evil spirits that are described uh, that Jesus dealt with were, were scum and were degraded. They just wanted to control a body. That, that once they were angels, able to, to, contr- to, to be in charge of planets and galaxies, but now they have been so degraded, even by their, their, their leader, Satan of all, that they actually just all they want to do is, is be in a human body. But these rulers and these authorities, whether they have been downgraded or whether they still have, this, uh, still have power... The truth is Christ has overthrown them all. We don't wrestle against them. Sorry, we wrestle against them. And we wrestle against the rulers and the authorities. But Christ has actually actually triumphed over them in his cross. We need, therefore, to understand that though we're fighting a spiritual battle, actually we're already on the winning side. But just like in wars, whether it be the Ukraine war at the moment or in the Second World War, wars take time to finish. And during that period between when the war is basically won until finally there's, there's a surrender, there's still suffering and conflict that will be happening. And we are in that period. And we have no uh, reason to believe that we are, we're out of, uh, out, of the, um, out of the responsibility of, of putting on our spiritual armor. 
and being prepared to fight against rulers and authorities. And, as you'll see, it says the, the, the fourth expression uh, is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, Paul uses that word heavenly places five times in Ephesians. And in the other four times, he's always talking about angels and the good world of heaven. What does he, how did, why has he suddenly uh, talked about the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places? Well, because the Bible is, makes it clear that there's the world of, of, uh, of planet Earth, of human society, and then there's the invisible world, and the world is a large, and that invisible world includes the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. The kingdom of light is the real, is of course where, where God is and where eventually from the kingdom of light will totally destroy the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness is a rival, an upstart, jumped up uh, attempt uh, to rule the universe but cannot do so because God is, is all powerful. God is too great to be challenged by Satan but he doesn't realize this and he will fight till the end. But we as believers have this responsibility to struggle and to contend with these spiritual forces. And that's why prayer is so important. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. That's a song that Martin and I know from when we were kids. Those who pray shall mount up on eagles' wings. And uh, Paul tells us that prayer has divine power. Is one of those weapons that can change, uh, can change the universe. And that's why it's so important to pray. I want to uh, just finish by saying this. That, uh, and I'm going to look at this in more detail next lesson. Paul, uh, next lesson, tell him a teacher, next week. Um, uh, you'll see that Paul, uh, that Paul says that um, we're to take up the whole armor of God. And then he details, he details that whole armor of God. And uh, you'll see that um, he, he says, Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now I'll talk in more detail next week about this, but I just want you to notice that many of us who are rather fat need a belt because frankly, you know, our, our very fat belly pushes our trousers down and, you know, it's very embarrassing to be walking down the street and your, your trousers have fallen down. So you wear a belt. Now, uh, without being, you know, being too, too, too uh, trivial, the, the Roman soldier had exactly the same problem. He had armor. He had weapons. He had, uh, he had a whole uh, way of, of uh, defending his body from attack, and he needed a belt to keep it all in place. Without the belt, it was all over the place, and he was vulnerable to attack and could be killed. Notice it's the belt of truth that brings everything together. You know, someone may have been backsliding away from Christ for years or may have been going, you know, just not, not really getting very far in their Christian life. But as soon as truth comes along, suddenly everything comes into perspective. And suddenly uh, our, our needs become real. And because the truth comes to us strongly, we then are able to, to seek from God what we need, the help that we need. And uh, that's why truth is so important. We'll look at that in a bit more detail next week. But he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. And that's what I want to finish on now. Now, notice that Paul is talking to people who are religious. Well, surely most religious people are righteous people, aren't they? The most religious people of all religions, they, keep, they try to keep their rules. They try to keep their, their commandments. Surely most people are righteous. And uh, why is he saying, put on the breastplate of righteousness? Well, 
The Bible tells us that everybody, especially religious people, break God's law. Now, why do I say especially religious people? Well, religious people have been privileged with a knowledge of right and wrong, maybe from, from childhood or birth, that a normal person hasn't. So God will judge a religious person all the more strictly. Now, on the Day of Judgment, we, face, we will face God, religious people. And there's going to be a, uh, we will, we, our lives will be looked at. And uh, someone may say, well, I didn't kill anybody, I didn't commit adultery, I've been along to most uh, times of worship, I've prayed, I've fasted, I, I've gone on special, you know, special um, retreats or pilgrimages or special meetings uh, no, to seek God. So I think God is, going to, um, is God is going to forgive me. Now here's the problem. Jesus was faced with religious people. And he said to them this. He who commits sin is a slave to sin. Now that means this. He who does anything wrong is shown up that he's a sin addict. Not just that he's done one sin occasionally, but he's under the control of sin. So a religious person who has an impure thought, thinks about committing adultery, lusts after someone who isn't their wife, isn't just he's got just that one thing to worry about. He's got to worry about he's a sex addict inside and God sees it. No one else does. Same goes with anger and hatred. Oh, I've only ever really been angry once in my life. Jesus says, he who commits sin, one sin, actually is a slave to sin. He's under the control of sin, and indeed is under the control of the devil. Now, on the day of judgment, I can imagine a religious man coming to God and confessing only, and saying, well, look, okay, I've done eight or nine things, God, and uh, I've done all these other religious things. Um, Please save me. Please help me to go to heaven. Now the Bible says this, that God will look at actually what the man is, a slave to sin and a slave to Satan, and will say, no slaves to Satan allowed into the holy paradise of heaven. You will spoil it. You will ruin it. And anyway, you will go to be be punished along with the person who you've, you've willingly given yourself a slave to, the devil himself. So, well, how can that change? If, because if religious people are going to be found fault with, what about all the fornicators and adulterers and violent people and murderers? Well, the answer is the Bible says this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. Religious people, non-religious people, have the same fate. And that is why God, in his mercy and compassion, sent Jesus into this world to suffer in our place, that we might be saved, that we might be forgiven. That's what the breastplate of righteousness is. You see, Jesus went into that burning building to save us completely, to save our souls from sin. He he was innocent, he was righteous, he was perfect, he was completely without anything wrong at all. And he died as though he was a sinner. So that you and I, on the day of judgment, could say, Oh God, I know I've done, I've done thousands, millions of things, Lord, but, but I've, I have asked Jesus to save me. And the Father will save that person, that man or woman. who has. It says in the Bible, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will not be disappointed. And that's why we can wear 
the breastplate of righteousness. And lastly, with the last 30 seconds left, and we'll look at this in more, more detail next week. Secondly, we will go on to actually, as we trust in Christ and his righteousness, we will go on to obey him and live a holy life. We'll start living the kind of life we should live. Because Jesus said when he was talking to these religious people, and he said, those who commit sin are sin addicts, he said, but if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And that's what it means, wearing the breastplate of righteousness, is starting to have our lives changed, to become more and more holy, and actually living out the righteousness that Jesus uh, purchased for us.